Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Well, we're in a series on the power of hope, and I want to talk to you today about becoming an agent of hope. Boy, do we need this. Christian hope is not glib optimism about having my individual wishes fulfilled. Christian hope is hope for everybody. It has its eyes wide open. So it also laments. It also protests injustice. It also acts. And boy, do we need agents of hope. I read a poem by a guy named, I'll tell you about him later, William Cowper, written back in the 1700s. Cowper was a poet, then he became a Christian, and then he became an abolitionist. Now, I'll mention that at the end of this message because it has impact. But this particular poem he wrote has a line that struck me. He says, sometimes a light surprises the Christian when he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. And what I like about that is the word surprise. Sometimes in the dark, hope comes. And what I like about it is it says, sometimes the light surprises the Christian while he sings. In other words, when the guy started singing, it was still dark, still a mess. But the singing itself was an act of hope. Then God blesses you by some surprise for no reason at all. It's a funny thing. Anytime somebody sneezes or coughs, the standard response is, God bless you. Even atheists say, God bless you. They don't even think about it. Well, I read an article this week online that said that practice may have begun in a pandemic centuries ago. Back then, it was the bubonic plague, Black Death, that killed one-third of Europe. Can you imagine? And one of the symptoms they thought of catching the plague was sneezing or coughing. Now, they learned later it was a flea. But it was Pope Gregory the Great who suggested to people, say God bless you after somebody sneezes. Only it wasn't a nice comment. It was a prayer for deliverance from death. Now, I read that online, so you may wonder if it was credible, but it was actually from the website of the Library of Congress, so it's not super credible. (laughs) It's not like Facebook or something, but it's interesting. Who knows? So the idea behind blessing somebody is that just as we live in a physical ecosystem, we live in a spiritual ecosystem. Just as one person can infect another person with a plague or illness or a virus, we can infect people with courage or joy or hope. People can make people sick. That's why we say sometimes, you make me sick. (laughs) People can also make people well. God bless you. There's a basic truth about the human condition. It's true physically. I don't have the bubonic plague, don't worry. It's true physically, but spiritually as well. What's in you will come out of you. See, that's true. 
physically and spiritually. Physically, it could be a virus, measles, germs, bad breath. It's also true spiritually and emotionally. They are incredibly contagious. In fact, in one study they took a depressed person and a non-depressed person, and they set them in chairs across from each other in a room for two minutes without saying a word. Afterward, the non-depressed person was significantly more depressed than they had been before without saying anything at all. A Yale researcher named Nicholas Christakis studied the social networks of thousands of people. And it turns out that contagions, or what he calls social stampedes, run rampant in human relational networks. Turns out the tendency of human beings to influence and copy each other is immensely persuasive. He talked about roommates. He says, for example, students with a studious roommate end up studying more. Diners who sit next to heavy eaters eat more. People who live next door to neighbors who cut their yard and keep it clean end up mowing their yards more often. <coughs> Although we have one on our street that ain't got the message. <laughs> it's not just that our friends affect us. Our friends, friends, friends affect us. Your friend Ted has a friend at work named Ned who has a neighbor named Fred. And Fred's negativity depresses Ned, who then depresses Ted. Here you are having a bad day because of some guy you'll never even meet. Don't even know who he is. It's called three degrees of influence. And I kid you not, if the friend of a friend of a friend quits smoking or gains weight or gets depressed, you are more likely to do the same. See, you don't have to tell your kids now, just be careful of your friends or even just be careful of your friend's friends. Now you've got to say, be careful of your friend's friend's friend because it, it affects you. Everything you think, feel, do, or say can and does spread far beyond even the people you know. So researchers tell us that social networks magnify what they're seated with, which raises the question this morning, what do you want your little world to be seated with? What do you want your life to be seated with. So here's an idea that has never been topped, and I'm reading it from Romans 15, verse 13. This has been our text. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're all learning about hope, and this particular verse is our central text, and the you in this verse is plural. So if you're from the south, it's y'all. Some of you from the north, it's you guys. In other words, the plan is for the church to be a social network of hope, a community of hope. Now, if you're going to be a hope bringer, if you're going to shed hope like a virus, you got to be hope-filled because what's in you will come out of you. If negativity is in you, it's coming out. If despair is in you, that's coming out. If cynicism is in you and skepticism, that's going to come out. So God's plan is for you and I not to just be full of hope, but actually to overflow. Now, to overflow means I don't have enough space to hold something. So Paul says, have hope, crown your life, so that when you move, hope just sloshes over everybody. Yeah. 
I, you meet people like that. You just feel better when they come in a room, an office, or into your presence. I don't care where you are on the scope of depression or whatever you may be feeling. They just leave you feeling better no matter what the problem was. So here's the key. If you're going to overflow with hope, you can't depend on your friend's friend's friend that he may doing, be doing well. So here's the plan. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you overflow, slosh over with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we don't do it on our own willpower. In other words, we're not passively dependent on people and circumstances and friends, friends, friends to give me that. No, it comes from God. You have one who wants to fill you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace. How will he do it? He'll use scripture. He will use great thoughts from God's word. He will use being with the right kind of people. He will use being alone. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian when he sings. So he'll use beauty. He'll use creation. He'll use your worship. He'll use whatever's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. But it's all rooted in and all dependent on my understanding of the title Paul gives God. He calls him the God of hope. That's our God. Now, we've seen this in the series about this truth, about hope. Most people in our day and in our culture aren't even aware of. Dr. Dallas Willard says, one of the remarkable changes brought by Jesus and his people into the ancient world concerned the elevation of hope as a primary virtue. But if you go back to the ancient life, hope was not regarded as a positive by the Greek-Roman world. It was the thought, it was thought of as desperation. You, you might remember this, the Greek myth of Pandora's box. Zeus was ticked off at a man called Prometheus, and he was stealing fire from the gods. So to get revenge, Zeus creates this woman named Pandora. And she's given a box, which Zeus, being a master of reverse psychology, warned her never to open. Worst thing you say to a woman. Of course, she couldn't help herself. And out of that box came every plague, illness, hunger, envy, and anger that would torment the world and mankind. Well, she rushed to put the lid back on the box and found the only remaining thing inside was hope. So if you've ever wondered where we get the word or the phrase hope chest, it comes from this story. And as a basic orientation to life, hope was thought to be an illusion by the ancients because they thought, they thought there was no realistic basis for it. So it was kind of a self-deception deal. They thought of hope exactly like a scene from a movie that many of you will have seen, and I'm not recommending the rest of you do, called Dumb and Dumber. Remember? The character is played by Jim Carrey. He's in love with a woman, but he, he's not getting anywhere. So he finally asks her, what are my chances? And she tells him, not good. He says, you mean not good, like one out of a hundred? She says, I'd like to say more out, one out of a million. Then there's a long pause, and Carrie says, so you're telling me there's a chance? <laughs> See, <coughs> His hope, we all know, was a delusion. Yeah. 
The ancient Greeks thought about hope basically that way. They believed hope was really a failure to rely on reason. And you understand, nobody ever called Zeus the god of hope. Nobody ever gave that title to Baal or Molech or Muhammad. There is no god of hope in Eastern religions where desire is supposed to be eliminated. So this isn't an accident. See, they believed there was no rational ground for hope. But here comes Paul, and he draws on scriptures, and especially on Jesus, and he calls God the God of all hope. You understand, Paul doesn't just make up a title like that to hear himself talk. It's a claim. It's content. It's an idea. It's an idea based on, uh, that was unprecedented in the ancient world. Nobody had ever heard that. Remember, hope is the anticipation of good. It involves imagination, desire, and belief. So the God of Israel imagined creation. He thought it up to begin with. The God of Israel has great desires for his creation. So he loves this world. He wants it to flourish. And the God of creation believes this will come to pass. In fact, he knows it will because he's going to do it. They Therefore, he's called the God of hope. Hope is the anticipation of good. I guess I'm a mess right now, Rick, but I have hope that God's going to bring me through this. That hope is the anticipation of good. It's crappy right now. It looks awful right now, but this is not the final chapter. I have hope because I know this God. So it anticipates good like God does, see? Therefore, God is the most hopeful being in the universe. Now, the Greek word for hope was the word elpis, E-L-P-I-S, elpis. And in the ancient Greek, it actually meant more like expectation. You could expect something good to happen. Often they would use it that way, but you could also expect something bad to happen, and they often used that word that way. I was talking to somebody from our church going through this series, and he said to me, that series made me realize I don't hope much. Mostly I just keep my head down with my blinders on and I kind of grind through life. Well, that's what the Stoics did. That's what the fatalists did. That's what the cynics did. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Paul did. They hoped and they sloshed it all over the place. See, Jesus' followers came along and they had to write down his message. And here's what they said. We're going to kidnap that little word, elpis. We're going to put it on steroids. We're going to put it in weight training. That little word is going to change the world. And that's exactly what happened. In the New Testament, that little word, elpis, is never used to expect the bad. Never. Instead, it is used to name a virtue brand new to the ancient world, hope. Hope. If you're breathing, there's hope. You ain't dead yet. It's not over yet. Well, it was so inspiring that now in our day, even secular, non-Christian people who did not believe there was any foundation in reality for hope can't let go of that word. But Jesus and Paul says there is a foundation for hope. The God who made the world loves the world. He's going to redeem the world and if that's true, then hope is not just a pleasant little thing. It's not just empowering. It's not just something we enjoy. It's logical. It's reasonable. It's appropriate. It fits. That doesn't mean 
you're always optimistic about how a particular situation is going to turn out. You know, a friend of mine said, I prayed God would stop the COVID virus, but I'm not really sure if that'll happen, so I guess I don't have much faith or hope. No, 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 no. See, hope does not mean conjuring up a feeling of certainty about how some situation's going to turn out. All I know is God's in control, good or bad, whatever comes out. That's my hope. I don't know how it's going to turn out. For example, for example, I'm limping a little bit. One of my friends had some minor surgery, was in the hospital for a 24-hour observation. So I thought two nights ago, I thought, told Cindy, I'm going to eat supper and then I'm going to run down to the hospital, visit my friend, try to encourage him, pray for him, and uh, just let him know I care. So I had supper. I was barefoot. And I went from the den up to the kitchen, and there's a step with tiles, steps, and I stubbed my toe. Oh, I didn't stub my toe. I shattered my toe. I split it in two. I wouldn't say I bled a lot, but it looked like a crime scene. That's what I'm, it took bounty towels to hold back the blood flow from that big toe. It, it was awful. And Cindy, was she concerned about me? Get that off the floor. Get out the back door. Don't put that blood on the floor. Wrap that thing up. Go stick it out there in the jacuzzi. Put that. My compassionate wife. So she said, that's awful. You better go have stitches put in that, the emergency room. So I did. It took three hours most of it waiting, as some of you would know, and six stitches, and I, I never got down to see my friend. <laughs> I didn't know how it was going to turn out, did I? No, we don't have a clue. We don't even know how it should turn out. See, we're not God. We can't see eternity. So hope does not mean feeling certain you're going to get a particular answer to a particular prayer. It means I'm betting the farm on God. I'm looking to God, I depend on God, I remember God, I thank God, I serve God, I think about God, I worship God, I study God, I love God, I rest in God. I arrange my life around the Jesus way. Then our goal, gang, is to become agents of hope to the lives of other people. We want to build a social network of hope. We want to be infectious with hope. We want to shed it like a COVID virus. And look at what Paul writes Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul says, don't put your hope in wealth. In other words, there's such a thing as false hope. You go to bed rich, you wake up, the stock market crashes, it's dropped 30%, and during COVID, tens of millions of people lost their jobs. Many people that had businesses went out of business, right? All across this country. So if we don't learn to not put our hope in wealth, when will we ever learn? There's nothing wrong with wealth. That's a good thing. It can be a good It's when I put my hope in it. No, I know it's fleeting. I got, you put your hope in anything but God, it's temporary. God's eternal. He's got my back. His plans for me are good. 
He says to give me a hope and a future. In a day, I don't have hope. There are plenty of days it doesn't look hopeful, but I'm never hopeless. I always be hopeful and hope-filled. God says, I want you to live like that. I'm expecting. I'm anticipating. I don't know how. I don't know when. Something's going to break this thing. I don't know. I'm hopeful. See, I put my hope in God. So be rich in good deeds. Be generous with people. Be willing to share. Make every day an investment in God's resurrection and redemption of the world project. And God says, I'll bless you. And not just that, it's true for everybody. Our brains, for example, scan our environments constantly. And we're always asking, what should I do next? Because we're imitators. God wired us that way, which means you can model hope for people when you know it. And you can model hope for people even when you don't know it. You bless your friend and your friend's friend and your friend's 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 friend who you will never meet. And you impacted them. I've been impacted by friend of a friend of a friend who doesn't know my name. But what they did came down the line of friendships to impact my life. A, a, a little pastor running uh, the business for one of our electric utilities in South Carolina had a little startup church, just a little church, small. And he was a, a brilliant man, but an editor. But he witnessed to me at a lunch because I was a public relations director for an electric utility. And he was just very casual, very conversational, nothing uncomfortable at all, and asked me a few questions about, about the Lord and Jesus. And I'm a Bible Belt guy. I said, well, yeah, I believe all that. And, and then he asked me, have, are you, have you assurance that you've invited Jesus into your heart, that he's your Savior? Should your life expire? You're with him in eternity? And I said, well, I hope so. That ain't really good, folks, is an answer. I hope so. No, he said, you can know so, Rick. And I said, well, that's good. And he just gave me a few couple of quick scriptures at lunch, nothing heavy. And then says, wouldn't you like to know that? Well, oh, me. Yeah, it's good news. I want a piece of it. So he led me in a real simple little, little prayer, and I accepted Jesus. That, 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 that guy who was impacted by somebody before him from Georgia, I don't know where, then came to me, and then from me to thousands of other people and nations and friends, he has no idea what he set in motion in the ecological system of, of shedding virus, shedding hope, shedding God's love. You just never know how far it will spread. You don't know. See, the plan, the, the plan is infect each other with hope. Do it all the time. Be a hope. When you come to my house, when you come to see me, or there's a problem, I want to bring hope to you. If I come to you, I want you to be a bearer of hope, an agent of hope. Not sky is falling. No, 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 no. We got enough of that in church. It's not falling. You, you're failing to understand the God of all hope. No. As long as I'm on my feet and breathing, hope abides. And should I die, I have hope of eternal life. So, I, I'm not terribly upset by anything, including our road closure out here, but I'm hopeful. Yeah, I see. I have a friend who has an unbelievable mind. He has forgotten more great things than I'll ever learn. Sometimes we'll talk. He'll email me, tell me what he's been reading, and I'll think, I can read that. I can think those kind of thoughts. I can copy that. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I pass them on to you. 
And then you might tell a friend. Here's what we're learning about at our church. And a friend of a friend of a friend gets blessed by the hope of somebody they'll never meet, never know. My wife, Cindy, has extraordinary love for people. I hear this all the time from people. They'll say stuff like, Rick, we met you years ago at some event and got to meet you and Cindy. Well, it was nice meeting you, but your wife, what a vibrant, hope-filled, hilarious, challenging force of nature you married. I get that from people all the time, so stop telling me. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. Not rocket science, gang. It's just a God of hope filling you to overflow. I have a friend, one of the most generous people I know, not just with resources, but time and energy. And every time I talk to him, he'll ask, what do you need, Rick? How can I help? And I get really moved and influenced by that, and I think, I could do that. And I've watched this person over the years, and I remember it kind of shed virus onto me. And I thought, I can't do it at his level, but I can do it at my level. And when I see a need that I can fill somewhere, I just sow that seed. I say, I can take care of that. I can take care of that. I can pay that forward. You can too. All of us on our level can meet some need like that with that great spirit of generosity. But that became infectious to me. And the better I do, the more I can help somebody else. This is aside from my giving to the church. Do something to make a difference and help somebody. Their little struggle is nothing to me, but it's a big deal to them. So I can do something to alleviate it. See, you have to start thinking that way. You shed that virus of hope. Paul says, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This is why the church exists, to unleash agents of God-given overflowing hope, and that's supposed to be you. And by the way, can we just say that Jesus started a community of hope that included every nationality, every tribe, every tongue, every race, and every nation, and we get to be part of that. We revel getting to be a part of a community that is saying the sin of exclusion and racism has no place for that here. You may think you don't have enough hope to qualify, but you'd be wrong. I mentioned that line at the start, sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. The man who wrote it was William Culper, a brilliant poet in the 1700s who suffered horribly from depression. In his early 30s, he tried to kill himself not once, but three times. He was placed in St. Albans Insane Asylum. You can look it up. And there, in the insane asylum, he met Jesus. Jesus just shows up in the weirdest places, right? And you were thinking, there's no hope for you. (laughs) Then he suffered from depression with Jesus. And the church often hasn't known what to do with people like that. Well, he became a good friend of another man named John Newton. John Newton had been a slave trader. Well, he came to Jesus, and he was so convicted with great agony about his past. And he wrote that wonderful song that's sung in churches around the world, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Well, Newton invites Coper to be part of a hymn-writing project that resulted in over 300 hymns that have inspired people for centuries. See, Cowper, who knew excruciating suffering personally, could not stand the suffering being inflicted by his country, England, on African kidnapped slaves. So he became a kind of poet laureate for abolition. So there's hope. 
And the only hope worth having comes not from ignoring the pain or denying your pain or avoiding the pain or trying to make sure my little life is safe and okay, but precisely from and in and through with the pain. It's the hope of the cross. It's the hope where the love of God took on the pain of sin to save a wretch like me. And it was the pain of this suicidal man, Cowper, who met Jesus for crying out loud in an insane asylum, and the pain of a shame-filled slave trader named John Newton that led to the words that would move a man named Martin Luther King Jr. And King, in turn, would shed virus and speak words that would move the conscience of a nation. Nobody could have seen that coming. But the friend of a friend of a friend touched history. And it's that way with Jesus because all of us who follow him live in a great chain, friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, that goes all the way back to the friend of sinners. He's our friend. What a friend, Jesus. We sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. Sometimes, as it was with him on the cross, it is the wrenching pain you think you can't bear that will be the source of the greatest hope you will ever give. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. And God, how we need healing in your wings, in our nation, in our world today, and in our lives. So I'm asking you, church, will you decide to be intentionally an agent of hope wherever you go? Whether they're Christian or not Christian, you can bring hope. You can bring joy. You can be encouraged. Why? Because it should be sloshing out of you and all around you. No, this isn't the end. You go in and contradict the negativity with joy and hope and confidence. We have a Savior that came back from the dead. What's your problem? We can help anybody. We can be agents of encouragement, agents of hope, and spread it around. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.